All right. Yeah. Uh, before we get started, a couple items of business. <laughs> um, we are on for today, and I think we're going to need uh, next week, or did we not schedule it? I can't remember. Oh, that's interesting. I, I think you scheduled it, Father. Yeah, the church calendar is wrong. So I'll fix that now. Um, church calendar had it for next week. And then we're going to take a little break. Um, because we are going to finish up, God willing, in the next week. Today or next week, we'll finish up. Um, and then we will decide together when we're going to reconvene, how long a break we want, a week or two or three, whatever. But we need a new book to study, and so I am open to suggestions. So think about that, a book that you've wanted to study before or haven't or just wanted to get a different perspective. And just email me. Let me know what your thoughts are. I'll, I'll pick out a book. We've done... Um, we didn't actually finish Matthew. We can go back and finish Matthew. We've done the Psalms. We've done, uh, I forget what else we did. But anyway, so some of you some suggestions. Uh, secondly, um, whether or not you're on Facebook, uh, there, I started a Facebook group for people who want to read through the Bible in three years. And that's basically a chapter a day. So if you're on Facebook, you can go ahead and look for that enjoying that um somewhat related to it but not directly um family night starts next week and for the adult uh session deacon david and i are going to sort of co-host a discussion on reading the bible we're not going to cover a particular book we're just going to talk about um sort of how we do the bible tips tricks things to avoid traps um so that's going to be an ongoing discussion for, I don't know, five or six weeks or so. And there'll be a Zoom option for that. So that's Wednesday, uh, I think 645, starting next Wednesday. So there's that much to say that it can go on for eight weeks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're, you'll, you'll see. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think a lot of us, probably all of us to some degree, have really um, unintentional but bad habits when it comes to Bible reading. I hear all the time of um, people who talk about even going to Bible studies and what they hear in the Bible study is, okay, let's, let's read the text. Now, what do we think and feel about it without referring back to the text? That's one concept of, of how we can read the Bible through our lens versus trying to redefine our reality through the lens of the Bible. So that's, that'll be one topic, but y'all, there's, there's tons to talk about. So anyway, if you're interested, that'll be starting a week, or actually, because it's coming Wednesday, a week from yesterday. Mm -hmm. And that was in person? Uh, yes, we're going to be uh, updating our look, um, procedures here at the church. Um, so it'll be in, in person with a Zoom option. Yeah, we're going to, we, we, what we've been using for our guidelines is the, is the public gathering limits, which is really a little bit different in terms of how we function, what we do. Um, so we're going to be using as our guidelines uh, more of the school procedures because what we're doing is much closer to a school than, you know, going to a, a conference or a um, you know, public gathering like a show or something. So we're going to be doing some some opening up, still following all the same restrictions. You know, masks, social distancing, disinfecting, all that. Uh, but we'll be doing a little more open in person again. And the pause is actually going to be hopefully coming off next week. So even the public gatherings is being uh, loosened up a little bit. So anyway, we'll yeah, that'll be in person with a, a Zoom option. All right, I believe we are in chapter 21. If I marked my place right, we've, we are at verse five, is that correct? Or did we finish five through eight? I think we did one through four, but I wasn't positive. 
I'm not sure about five through eight because I have it written down and I did and I assumed that's what we're gonna I can't remember if it was for this time or last week. Yeah, I don't think we did it. The only thing is I, I think we did one through four. Yeah, we did. Okay, so yeah, so let's go. Let's start with verse five. Um, so let's, it's been a few weeks. So let's go back and to look at our context here. Um, chapter 21 is this uh, part of the revelation where John is seeing a new heaven and a new earth because the first had passed away and the sea was no more. And then this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God. And we're going to get into that in great detail coming up here in a little bit. Um, and all of this follows where 20, chapter 20 ended, which was uh, the great white throne, him who sat upon it, um, from whom his presence, the earth and sky fled, the books were open, um, and death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire, which was identified as the second death. If any man's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That was how 20 ended. And then 21 began with Jesus saying, Behold, I make all things new, which we talked about providentially just before New Year's. And then we went through those beautiful words in 5 through 8. So that takes us to where we are. I'm sorry, in 24. Now it takes us to, to 5 through 8. I think we, we might have mentioned all things new, but I can't remember. Anyway, that's where we'll start. We did because I asked about it. I okay, about it. that's right. That's right. We started looking ahead a little bit. All right. So, would somebody read for us then verses five through eight? And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is anti that is a thirst of the fortun, of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable, abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay. So lots to unpack in this. Um, we're going to really see that in, in some ways, this is sort of the encapsulation of the whole book. Um, so we talked a little bit last about, behold, I make all things new. This, this is um, what we're seeing now with this new heaven, new earth. We have to look with eyes of newness if we're going to understand it. If we try to see um, sort of what's continuous, we're going to get off track because he's saying, I make all things new. And you think about it, what is, think about the qualities of newness. When you think of newness, what do you think of? Clean. What's that? Clean. Clean, yes. Fresh and fresh. What were those? Sorry. I said I think of the rebirth. <laughs> Go Ladies ahead, first. Go ahead, Elaine. Fresh and crisp. New. Fresh, crisp. Okay. Randy? I was saying I think of a new birth. Yeah. New life. Um, new start, end of the old. You know, a lot of people say, well, what's heaven like? And yes, it's renewal, but it's complete renewal. So what is of the old, which is, that pertains to the old, that stuff ends. So what stuff doesn't make it into newness? According to this that we just read? <coughs> yeah. Well, I'm just, you know what? What are what are things that that are that you can't renew? What what can't what can't you refresh in and renew? Sin. Well, no, you yeah. can. Okay, you, you can. I well, thought you can end it. Repentance. Yeah, but it doesn't. It, it it ends right at every confession. 
we, right. we need the, the use that can sign those sins to oblivion. So they're gone. Okay. So sin is not going to be part of this newness. Okay. What else is corrupt, old, dirty, passing? Everything abominable to God. Yeah. Everything, everything sinful, everything evil. And the results of that, you know, we Orthodox are very clear that the results of sin, it's not God's righteous judgment. We'll get to that in verse 8. Um, but what pertains to God is truth, purity, light, life. And then the, what sin does, it corrupts those things. And so what we associate with sin is more sin, sickness, and death. So if you look at what Christ's ministry, there's there's really, besides the teaching he does, he's, he comes as the teacher, he's the rabbi, the teacher, but his three main actions are to conquer uh, sin, right? You have several instances where he, he pronounces the forgiveness of sin, healing of all kinds of sicknesses, and finally, ultimately, the conquering of death. So all of that is old, and none of that now enters the kingdom. There's no sin, there's no sickness, there's no death, there's no darkness, as we'll see in a little bit. Okay? So all things are made new. Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, part of this, this revelation, we talked about the book is the, the apocalypse, which is not the end, it's the uncovering. Uh, the apo, the taking up of the kalima, the cover. Um, I'll remind you, uh, when, I, when we come out, when the clergy come out with the chalice for communion, that red cover, the cloth, is the kalima. So this is the apo kalima, the apokalipsis, the uncovering. And part of this uncovering is that this is to be known. So he says, write this. These words are trustworthy and true. He wants this. This is now to be revealed. And then he says, it is done. What does that remind anybody of anything? When is the last time we heard that from Jesus? Yeah. On the cross. Uh, yeah, On the cross. good. You all have good biblical minds, you remember. So when something is done, it's ushering a new, new reality. And so I think it's intentional here that we're hearing Jesus at the moment of his conquering of death. Now he uses the same words, it is done. And then he says, and you've, you've seen this before, but now you'll know the context. I am the Alpha and the Omega, which are what? What, do you, what are the Alpha and the Omega? Do you all know what those refer to? The first and the end. Right. So the Greek alphabet begins with Alpha, ends with Omega. If this was in, in, is written originally in, in English, he would say, I am the A and the Z. Or if you're Canadian, I am the, I am the A and the Z. <laughs> right he's the beginning and the end thoughts on what that might mean the beginning and the end father i have always understood <clears throat> from my reading that uh what he was saying here is i'm the alpha and the omega the a to the z as you said and the alphabet is the basis for all communication it's the basis for explaining everything and if you have a child who's five or six years of age, if you ask them, they'll sing you a little song that will tell you A to Z. They have a little song that they sing. Yep. And that's the first thing they learn. Then they learn words, simple words. You put words together, you get sentences. You put sentences together, you get paragraphs. And that is how you know what is being communicated from one mind to another. And the mind of God, his thoughts, what he thinks, what he, everything that is, is known by him and for him, he communicates to us by that simple, you know, ABC. And then there are others who understand words and others who understand sentences and others who understand paragraphs. And the whole world of knowledge is open to someone who understands how to read. And so for Jesus to say, I am the Alpha and the Omega means I can explain, I know, I everything falls under me and is 
you know, in me and by me and for me. And so uh, A to Z is not just the beginning and the end. It's everything in between. Beautifully said. Absolutely. And I'll tie this back to something I was talking about. Was it last Sunday's sermon where I talked about writing our story? Right? Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned then, and I'll, I'll repeat it now in this context, if we want to understand our story, you've got to understand the prologue and the epilogue. You've got to know from whence we came and to where we're going, what our origins are and what our destiny is. And here, Christ says it very succinctly and clearly, it's him. If he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, we choose to believe that, then our story, we don't look back and go, me, my parents, I mean, that's part of our story. But the real origin of each one of us and all of us together is Christ. And the real destiny of all of us, individually and together, is Christ. Okay? Now, I promised Linda, I don't know if you saw your email, Linda, I promised a, a, an example that I would, I would use today. We, we saw those horrible images we saw yesterday in the Capitol. And all of us, when we watch the news or you read any story, true or fictional, um, we're always going to be tempted to have somebody else define for us the Alpha and the Omega. Okay? So just let's use that as an example. In the news reports you heard yesterday, what, in the analysis you heard, what was the alpha of what happened yesterday? What was the beginning of it? Where did it start? Where did it come from? The election. Okay, you heard the election, right? Going back further than that, it was Trump. Trump, <laughs> right? Any other analysis anybody heard? Frustration, you know. So those were I stories. We have a lot of middle-aged people who are very bored father, and all they've got to do is travel from one. They're lost. They don't know what to do with themselves, and they travel from one city to another in these groups, either motorcycles or vans or whatever, to these uh, displays of riots or uh, protest or yep. rally. They are, they're lost. They're bored. Okay, they so that's realize. analysis, and, and you and I could believe any of those. We could believe it's middle-aged people that are bored. We could believe it's Trump. We could believe it's the election. Now let's put, it, let's, let's put this to the test. If Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, how do you explain yesterday in reference to Christ as the Alpha? I don't know. I didn't. You're, you're beyond me. You're beyond me. I didn't, I didn't see your email yet, and I know that I wrote to you about it because it was so upsetting to see that. But if Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, then we don't really have to worry about, be concerned about what happened, but not take it as like, I got so upset. That's when I got distracted and cut my finger listening to that. Um, so I've got to do better with believing that that story is Alpha and Omega with Jesus. And I don't have to worry about the middle then, right? Why don't you have to worry? Yes, you're right, but why? Because, he, because he's got it. He's, got, he's in control, even though it didn't look very good on TV, what I was hearing and seeing. And my first response was, oh, my goodness. And then I tried not to watch it, but kept hearing it in the background. That's, oh, where I, that's where I need to hear from you. And that's what I wrote. Listen, Linda, it's okay. It's going to be okay. That's How about this? When, when we were little kids and we sang, he's got the whole wide world in his hands. Exactly. So just leave but it to you. But when you see something like that, your first response is fear. It's like, what is happening? And you never thought you'd see it here. 
ever, ever, ever. Right. And then other seeing that Christ is the Alpha, that He's the one who, if we're going to look back, you got to look farther and deeper than Trump, farther and deeper than the election. You got to understand that everybody involved, whatever their varied perspectives are, if it's not Christ as their perspective, they're going to make bad conclusions and bad decisions. And I would include in there the protesters, whatever agitators that were there among them to stir them up, uh, the politicians, the media people, everybody. If we don't look back and see Christ as the origin of all things, we're going to make wrong conclusions and wrong decisions. Now, that's the alpha part. If he's the omega... How does that change what happened yesterday? How does yesterday not happen or happen differently if Christ is the Omega? It's not going to change how anything happened, but it changes the results. None of this matters. This is all that temporal earth that we're just here biding our time trying to do well in yep. and love our neighbors and, you know, take care of the poor and the sick. And yep. none of this matters. This is all just stuff. Yep. Distraction. Yep. Doesn't so that's matter. For if us. That's what's offered to us. That right. we don't really need to be worried about this. No matter what people are saying is the result. Because you had people yesterday, uh, some of those people that were there motivated by this desperation because the Omega they were seeing was the election got stolen and Trump's a dictator and, you know, and, and and other people, you know, so you had people all different sides, different opinions. And because Christ wasn't the Omega, they got desperate from whatever side you're on and whatever action you saw. When Christ is the Omega, it's not that nothing matters. It's that it matters at a whole different level because he matters at a whole different level. Right? Ironically, yesterday, one of those flags said Jesus on it. Yeah, there was a big red flag that said Jesus. Jesus, and I thought, 20, really? Twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't see the twenty twenty. I just saw one that said Jesus. Yeah. There, there were yard signs. Vote yeah. for Jesus, twenty twenty. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. I have a question. How do you, when you see something as disturbing as that, either on television or if you happen to be there? How do you keep from responding with fear or disgust or just wanting to run away from it all? So where did we see similar things? What book of we the Bible that we might have been studying very recently do we see things like this? And I understand, and I keep saying, get past the yuckiness, don't I? <laughs> but why does the yuckiness in Revelation, why is it comforting? Because it's not how the story ends. I know, but we're living the story here now. See yeah. what I'm saying? I wouldn't be honest with you if I said, oh, that didn't bother me and that made, didn't make me feel bad or a little bit afraid had I been there. Sure. Poor people were killed, so you'd need to be Yeah, there. people were killed. Sure. And then we, you know, we were wondering where, like Justin Amish, where was he safe? Because he's there. Right. And, and Rafa's son is there. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, so if we, if we only think of what looks to be dangerous and threatening, then all we have is fear. So if we didn't right. have Revelation chapters 20, 21, and 22, if we don't know how the story ends, then whether it's the difficulty in Revelation or what we saw yesterday or whatever, our natural reaction is going to be fear because we don't know how the story ends. What Revelation is telling us, if we choose to believe it, is you take all that stuff, all that suffering, you put it in the context in Revelation, and then you apply it to the situations in our life whether they be things we see on TV that are happening far away or whether they be things that are happening in our own life. Because remember, this is addressed to people 
who aren't watching this on TV. They're watching a threat coming to them. Right. In real life. And it's their choice of being loyal to Christ that puts them in danger. So the, the message of Revelation has been the whole time, don't be deceived. Because if you're deceived and you escape danger, what's going to happen at the very end? You look at verse 8. The, all those being thrown in the lake of fire, and I'm going to go this backwards. It's the liars, the idolaters, the sorcerers, the fornicators, the murderers, the polluted. And look where the list starts. The faithless and the cowardly. Ooh. That's hitting close to home. They're fire purified. <laughs> They're all going to end up in the fire and remain there so that the rest of us are saved from that. But this fire, this second death, is for all of them. Not, they're not going there for purification. No, but it's, it's purifying where they've been contaminating us. Yes, and if we got contaminated and we became cowardly, faithless, polluted, murderers, and all the rest, then we go with them. That's right. Right. Now, you might say, well, what's so wrong with being cowardly? In the well, context well, of they're not faithless, not faithless, working on Say that again? No. I, I hear a question. I don't know about anybody else. I just said it's not like it's not definite, like a definite thing that you are faithful. I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Uh, You're either really, really loud wait. or we can't hear you at all. Father? I guess I. Someone has something. You can't hear me? Okay, Father. The, it, so, thank Linda, I don't know if it's your transmission or somebody else's, but there's a really loud... I'm not saying that it's a death. Try turning off your video for a minute. Not me. Yeah, let's try that. But I'm mute. That's okay. I'll ask your father. No, go ahead. Try now. Is that better? Turn it back on. No. Turn it back on. It's someone else, Father. Some yeah. There's a really loud like. Uh, everybody else chat. mute, and then Linda, you ask your question. <laughs> what? I'm gonna mute you all, and then Linda's gonna ask her question. Hold on a second. Hang on, Linda. Uh, okay. Whoop, hold on. I lost you. Hold on. Okay, go ahead. Okay. It was more of a statement than a question. The cowardly or the faithless are going to be among the ones going into the burning lake. Is that what it said? I don't have it. Yeah, what verse were you Okay, but it, that sounds so definite. If we are, what I'm trying to explain is, I don't feel like I'm faithless. I'm still working on it. It's a work Good. in progress. Good. And why is Randy plugging his ears? Yeah, Revelation is saying keep working on it because when your trial is going to come, if you're cowardly, you're going to make the wrong decision. So keep working on it. Right. Your, your but, trial is going to come. And well, that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to do. Go ahead. Go ahead, Linda. That's what I'm trying to say is that I was disturbed by what I was seeing on TV. But I don't think that made me any less faithless. I, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, it but bothered me. You, the alpha and the but alpha. I do know that. 
when we look at the alpha and the omega right. in Christ, then you said you felt better. Yes. It, but at the, when you first see something like that, that's not that's not the first thing in my head. So now you know what your, your homework is. <laughs> if Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. Ten more items on different. my list. <laughs> I, th I think you're on a little bit. Yes. Do a favor, Linda. Log out. And Absolutely. And did you read what I said? <laughs> Yeah, she's on a pretty bad delay. Go ahead and unmute yourself, Randy. There, okay. Yeah, I couldn't unmute. Yeah, there was just all kinds of background noise with her, and it was really, really loud. I don't know what was. Yeah, it was. She was on a delay, so every time I said something, it was coming out later for her, and then. Now it's clear, right, Deb? Is it clear now? And. The volume is normal? Yeah. Okay. I can put my volume back up to normal. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a cousin, Mona, who um, got all upset about all this, too, and she, like, loses sleep over it. And I just said, turn the TV off, you know? Yeah. We can't change any of this. Right. So... Yeah, and so the goal is that whether it's something that really is affecting us directly, like literally directly immediately in our, or something we're watching that, yeah, does it affect us? Yeah, it does at a distance and, and maybe in the long term. But either way, it doesn't matter. If, if we see Christ as the Alpha and the Omega, that's our choice to put him in that position. In other words, in Revelation, he doesn't impose himself through all the trials until the judgment, he does not force his alphaness, if I could put it that way, and his omega-ness. It's an option. Remember, we first met him back in the early chapters, this mighty figure with the eyes burning like fire and all the rest is to double-edged sword. And then we see him as the wounded lamb. Well, the wounded lamb is one that you have to decide if you're going to be submit uh you know submit to and be obedient to because he won't force you but that figure that powerful figure now he's back because he's uh coming in glory at the at the judgment and this is again where it's how we endure the trials that are going to determine are we welcoming him are we rejoicing for all this or were we among the polluted the murderers the fornicators sorcerers and he's throwing in now the cowardly and the faithless, because if we're cowardly and faithless and not moving from those towards courage and faith in him, we're going to make bad decisions. We're going we're gonna to follow the wrong powers and authorities, and we're going to be deceived. So that's, that's the goal. And, and so I, I want to use that as an example of saying, no matter what is disturbing us in his life, seen in the context of Christ as the Alpha and the Omega, it, it should change everything. Like Linda was saying, it changed how she felt about it. it. That should be how it works for all of us, whether it's an immediate threat or an immediate, I would even throw in a temptation. When we're beset by temptations, if you see Christ as the Alpha and the Omega, it changes the veracity of that temptation. It doesn't have the power we often think that's inherent in it. The power comes from us. And it's a power, the power of sin and temptation says, I need this. This will benefit me rather than I came from Christ, I'm going to Christ. Like Jesus says before his, his passion, he says, I came from God and I'm going to God. For him, the Father is the Alpha and the Omega. So it tells us how, how it changes our perspective. Um. To the thirsty I will give from the fountain of the water of life without payment. Why do you think he throws in those words without payment? Is martyrdom the cost of being judged righteous? 
Is it a price you pay? Unmute, Alan. My Bible, um, I'm not using the Orthodox study Bible this morning. It says, um, of the fountain of the water of life freely. Yeah. Freely, without payment. Anybody have a different translation? No? Okay. Yeah, the idea is, is you come and drink and you're not earning it. And I think that's it's important to say it here because we've talked about the difficulties of being faithful to Christ, even to the point of death. And we might mistake that as, well, that's the price you have to pay. That's how you earn it. And he's making it very clear. You come and drink without paying. It's not a price you pay. That martyrdom, that witness is simply saying, this is to whom I give my allegiance, my obedience to. But it's not a price you pay that earns it. Make sense. My Bible says I will give water as a gift. There you go. That's the idea. Is it, <clears throat> mine says a gr it, it, that it's the grace of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's where you can see where the translator is going off of the text and doing some interpretation. Let me pull up. Well, that was compare. that was in the, the interpretation part, not in the. Oh, the okay. Act. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Um find this here. Deborah, what does your text say? The text? Yeah. Mine says freely. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Yeah. In the Greek, it's doreon, which is, um, you know, we, we get the antidoron at the end of liturgy, the instead of the gift. Anti, instead of, doron, the gift. This is the um, the adverb, or is it adverb or adjective? I always get those confused. But that's in, in, in as a gift. That's the idea, freely, without charge, as a grace. That's the idea there. The doro. Yeah. Um, and then verse 7 is also key. He who conquers shall have this heritage. And I will be his God, he'll be my son. Beautiful. Um, what does it mean in Revelation to be one who conquers? How do you conquer according to Revelation? You don't give up your allegiance to God. Even if it means in an earthly sense, you lose. You lose your life, you lose your health, you lose your standing, you lose your money. You lose whatever it is you're going to lose, but um, conquering is losing that for Christ. What did he say? He who would save his life will lose it. Mm -hmm. So it's that paradox of to save your life, you have to lose your life. Um, is that really losing? No, it may look like it. It's actually, according to Revelation here, to lose your life is to conquer. Remember, these, this is always elevating the place of the martyrs and martyrdom. And then we, we look at the last verse. Yeah, you have to have a lot of faith that if you lose it, that he's going to um, bring you back, so to speak, or yeah. get you to the right place. And that's really the message of the Bible beginning to end, is in whom are you going to have faith? Are you going to trust yourself? Or are you going to trust in God? I mean, go back to, to Genesis 1. There's God, creates Adam and Eve, sets them in the garden, gives them instruction, but gives them freedom. The devil comes along and says, oh, don't trust what God told you. You'll, you'll, have, you'll be like him if you eat the fruit of that tree. So they, they mistrusted. That's, that's the sort of original sin is a distrust in God. You could say it's arrogance, pride, you know, disobedience. It's all those are all different ways of describing it, but it's moving their allegiance from God to themselves, and that's from then until now, beginning to end, is going to be uh, what's going to take people off the off the path. And you know, although we covered, I'll, I'll say it again for emphasis, it doesn't 
take just being wrong to get off the path. Even our, our being cowardly and faithless can take us. We don't have to be evil in the sense of do disgusting things or dirty things or, you know, those are aspects of having put our trust on ourselves and not on God. And we do that, we live in a very scary world. That's where we have to fight our fear that the, the fear says, I don't know if I can handle this. Faith says, I don't have to handle it. God's handled it for me. He's the Alpha and the Omega. I don't need to worry. That's the goal. Any questions in that section? All right, let's keep moving. This is a, a I want to do a long section. We may not get into it in terms of the detail, but you know, there, there's so much that is just beautiful to, to hear without having to delve in deep. You don't have to delve, delve deeply to get it. Would somebody read for us 9 through 27? Whoa. <clears throat> then okay, what, I'll read it. Oh, go ahead. Then one of the seven angels who, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven of God, from God, having a glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he talked with me about a, he talked with me, had a gold, or he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall. 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. The construction of its walls was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, sorry, chalcedony, I don't know, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be no means, there shall by no means um, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month, the leaves of the trees were... were well, let's hold up right there. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, they're fine. 
Um, so beautiful description. Um, let's go back to the beginning. Who is showing this to John? An angel. Which one? One of the seven. <laughs> yeah, one of the seven who had the seven bull, bulls of the plagues or the bulls of wrath. What's interesting about that? They finally He's got not, to him. Yeah. <laughs> what was that, Deborah? That they finally got to the seventh angel. <laughs> yeah, well, we had that. Randy, what did you say? I said he's not done yet. Yeah. In other, in other words, this this is the continuation of that work. Right. We we often look at you know it's there's the, there's the bad news and there's the good news, uh, the you know the, the difficult parts and the good parts. It's all part of one process. And so when these these angels that had poured out those bowls of wrath and the plagues had come, the same one is going to show one of them is going to show John this beautiful image of the holy city, Jerusalem, not the earthly city, the new Jerusalem coming down, um, coming down from heaven. Um, we talked a little bit before because we had a, another reference to the bride, the wife of the lamb. Uh, we talked about that, that, you know, bridegroom matins when we talk about this a lot in, in Holy Week, that, the image that God has put in the Bible really more than any other image in terms of his relationship with us is as a bridegroom with a bride. This is a, a, a bridegroom rejoices in his bride. He rejoices in her beauty. He does everything for her. I, every time we have a, you know, a couple getting married, one of the things I counsel the groom is, Hey, whatever your wife wants on that wedding day, you make it exactly what she wants because she's the bride. Understand your place, you know. Um, and it is the foolish grooms like, oh, I want this and I want that. Well, <laughs> I can foretell what's going to happen later on, but I always tell them, be smart. It's your bride's day, you know. Even etiquette. What does etiquette say in terms of the names? Whose name goes first on the wedding day? God. The bride. Well, the bride of the bride and groom. Okay. So oh. the rest of her life, she's going to have to be second place. But on her wedding day, she gets first place. <laughs> so that's the idea. Um, and then now we see the, the description of this, this heavenly city. And um, I could go through, and maybe I'll do it next week if you want me to. We'll go through, and I'll, I'll tell you some of the examples of the meanings of uh, those foundations, every layer. Um, but anyway, uh, what's interesting, The it's a beautiful place, radiating jewel, crystal. Um, it has a great high wall with 12 gates, and there's three on each side. It's, there's the idea of it's a length, width, and height. They're all the same. It's just like a cube. Um, what's the function of a, of a gate in an ancient city? Where do you put gates? Protection. protection. So the wall is protection. The gate is your opening, but in an ancient city, the gate um, has a reference not to itself. You know, someday we'll go to, God willing, we'll go to the earthly Jerusalem. Um, the gates of the city of Jerusalem have the names not of Jerusalem. It's not Jerusalem East Gate or West Gate. The names are the cities to which the roads from those gates go. Oh. So if you look up in the, in the ancient city of Jerusalem, you'll see there's the Damascus Gate. Um, the gates refer to where that city is connected to. So if you have a gate on the east, it's because you have travel going to the east and going back. It refers to where, where, in other words, where that city is open to. So what do you think the meaning we, is? That we kind of have each... that here. What's that? We kind of have that here. Yes, we do. Like, How do we have it? Well, no, I'm, what I'm saying is commercially. Kalamazoo Avenue used to be the old road from Grand Rapids to Kalamazoo. Exactly. Yeah, that kind yep. of thing. Yep. 
And if you look at how every city is organized, you know, let, let's use Grand Rapids. We all know the example. How do you get to Grand Rapids from somewhere else? If you're in Detroit, how do you get to Grand Rapids? On the highway. <laughs> yeah, 96, okay, I-96. So if you look at Grand Rapids, you've got 96 east, 96 from the west coming in, you got 131. So if, if Grand Rapids was an ancient city, you would have a wall around the city because every city had to protect itself. But then you'd have a gate facing where your main travel, your main commerce was going to and from. So you'd imagine a big gate somewhere around Comstock Park on 131 that would open up to the north and you know to the south on 131. So the, the function is the same, but this has three gates on every side and they face in every direction. What's the meaning? So we're given a lot of choices, apparently. What has this the city been designed to do based on that fact alone? Who Give us choices. Who's welcome to that city? Everybody. Everybody. This is a city that you can approach from any side, and there's only one gate. There are three on every side. Remember that beautiful completeness of the three. There it is. So everyone has been called a city. Now we know from the first 20 chapters, not everyone's <laughs> going to make it. But that doesn't mean that that's not what the city was designed. It was designed to bring in everyone from everywhere. That's the idea. Okay. Um, in other words, <laughs> the kingdom is open to everyone. We just have to make sure we get there through the right gate. Exactly. And, and it, it's not hard to find a gate. Now, it may be hard to resist and go in the way of this gate. Because remember, the ones that are, are arriving here, they've come through all kinds of difficulty, right? The, who's showing John this? The angel, one of the angels that had the seven bowls of wrath. So it's not necessarily easy but it's accessible father are these the pearly gates that we hear of you know <laughs> now you know why they're called the pearly gates <laughs> okay now how many pearls is make up each gate? Are, is that where we are no. judged as to whether we're getting in or out no yes yeah yes that's the judgment spot <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah okay now each gate is made of a single pearl, right? Are these small gates or big gates? Big. No, small. Pearls are small. Well, normally pearls are small, right? But this wall is, I forget to give the measurement here. 75 yards. Okay. That's a big wall. With a tiny pearl-sized gate. No. It doesn't say they're big or small. It says they're pearls. Yeah, a single pearl. Yeah, well, that to me says small. That's because you're thinking old. I'm thinking pearl. That to me <laughs> means, wow, that had to have been one big oyster. That's, that's right. <laughs> that is one big pearl. A single pearl. Now, if it said it was made up of lots of pearls, then yeah, and Randy, you could be right that it was like, oh wow, it's a big gate, but there's a lot of pearl, a lot of those little old style pearls. Single pearl. Yeah, okay. If you say so. You're the, <laughs> you're the guy. I'm not saying it. I'm reading what well, you're reading. I'm not seeing it here as a big gate. It just says it's a pearl. Well, we know how big but, the wall is, right? Yeah, it's a big right. wall, but it doesn't mean it's got a big gate. If it what? had a big gate, everybody would be allowed in. I think That's only if you idea. were allowed in heaven, and it's the ones who follow the road without straying and falling off. That's true, you know, too. Edge. Yeah, that's true, too. But, but, what, but, what but don't imagine that it's pearl? inaccessible. What yeah. verse does it say pearl? Uh, um, 21. Oh, we're right down there. The gates okay. are 12 pearls, and each of the gates is a single pearl. 
The right. city right. is pure gold. And I didn't realize we were all the way down there. Yeah. To me, that means it's not easy to get in. Here further, like in 25, it says its gates will never be shut by day. Okay, but yeah, it doesn't say anything about they're big and easy to easy to transport. Well, you remember it's easy for the camel, easy for the camel to get through the eye of a needle than us. Right. So yeah, these are these are tiny pearls, Father. You know, they could be your earrings. Either way, if you if you however you want to interpret it, you can. But you can't. What what the okay. text won't let you say is that this is hard to find. All right. If you if I said to you, Randy, cut me a door in the wall. A door is a door, all right? You're not going to say, Father, do you want it six inches or eight feet? You're going to say, all right, I'm going to cut a door. door. 82 so inches. They, they know what a city gate looks like. Okay. But you're right in the sense that, is it, is it difficult? Yeah. Sure. Well, what brought them to this place was difficult. Absolutely. So if you want to use it that way, that's fine. In fact, what do we know about a pearl in the Gospels? When do we hear about a pearl? I don't know. Anybody remember a story Jesus told about a pearl? Yeah, the pearl of great mm. price. Yeah, what's the story? It's expensive. Yeah, so Jesus told a story, and these are stories, actually, if you look back in Matthew, these are all stories about the kingdom of heaven. He said the kingdom of heaven is compared to a man who found a pearl of great price in a field. And what did he do? He hid it. And he went and sold everything he could to buy that field because of the pearl of great price that was there. So, yeah, as long as we understand that, absolutely. Is there a, is there a, a high cost to arrive? Absolutely. We're not going to discard the first 20 chapters. But we also can't. Uh, three gates on each side of the, of the city is openness. It's accessibility. <clears throat> Again, I, you know, that's been the crux of orthodoxy from the get-go, that yes, God has made salvation available to us, but our choices are going to determine our final, you know. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah there's Absolutely. a lot of gates here and there's a lot of pearls, but they're small and not everybody's going to get in them is what my interpretation is. Yeah, you, you, but either way, whether you call it big or small, if okay. you are willing to conquer, you'll enter that pearly gate. And conquer is everything, yeah, from verse 7 to 9. Well, yeah. the, the whole, the, all those chapters before, that in face of all well, that right. danger, persecution, threat, right. you conquer by being faithful and not giving in to earthly powers that appear to be faith, appear to be powerful, but they're not. Father, can I interject just a thought about sure. pearls not related to the size of the gate, but the fact that all the stones that are mentioned are were created obviously with the earth and they are dug out of the earth or they are what we would say more mineral than biologic than they are. Uh, and with the pearl, a pearl is only created by an oyster when an irritant is placed in there with the living oyster. And so the pearl suffers or the oyster suffers until the pearl is completely developed and encased to where it's no longer uh, you know, harmful to the pearl or to the oyster. And the thought that I've always heard about why it's pearl at the gates where we enter into heaven is it was the suffering of Christ that allows us to enter into heaven. And that's why the gates are pearl instead of gold, amethyst, or jacinth, or anything else. And uh, the pearl is unique in the fact that it is created by the suffering of a living creature. Hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. I'll just add one thing, though. In, in, the, in certain Protestant traditions, only Christ needs to suffer. And if you accept, whatever that means, his suffering, then that's all you need, right? He pays the price. He suffers. Our orthodoxy looks at that a little bit differently. 
And according to Revelation, who else needs to suffer? We do. Yeah, not because we're going to pay a price. We already saw we're going to drink from the water freely without, without cost. But what Revelation has taught us, which I would say the entire scripture tells us is, if you're going to follow that path, and this is where Randy's interpretation is, is, is correct, you're going to suffer. If you're going to squeeze that little hole, you're going to suffer, you know? So that's where, where we Orthodox, I think, understand it correctly to say it's, that suffering is not payment to anyone for anything. Christ paid the price. Yes, he offered his life for us, and that affects our salvation. And even though we have to pay the price by suffering, it doesn't earn it for us. We're going to have to pay the price of suffering in whatever way that life presents to us to, to make that choice, to follow Christ, be obedient, um, and be committed or not. So there is a price we pay, but it's not a price that earns you anything. But yeah, we're going to suffer too. But I like that image. I didn't talk about that, but a pearl being developed through suffering. That's, that's a very Well, not accurate... just that too. It's like he said, it's biological. Yeah. So by, we are biological as opposed to just minerals. I thought that was a pretty on target point too. Yep. Good job, oh, Cole. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Father, I have a question about the gates again. Yeah. I'm interested, um, you know how you were saying that they name the gates according to where you're going in, in um, Jerusalem? Yeah. When you're leaving uh, the Damascus gate means you're going toward Damascus? Yeah. Okay, so now they name the gates of the names of the seven children of Israel, or excuse me, the 12 children of Israel. So um, what do you think that means? Well, we, we've had, I'm glad you asked it because it's something I wanted to mention. We've had a couple, um, this number 12 has come up several times, right? right? Um, and the fact that in the early part of the book, and we've seen this again throughout, this idea of the 24 elders, right. 24 being an obvious, you know, 12 times 2. Right. Um, so the old idea of Israel the original Israel were the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Israel had 12 sons and his right. sons were the heads of those 12 tribes. The new Testament now says that that covenant that God had with those 12 tribes is now open to everybody. If you, if you look at, at the new Testament, so much of it is trying to get across that that covenant with the 12 was in preparation for God's welcoming everyone. But still, the, the children of Israel, um, we see as the preparation for God's ultimate design, which was, as we see reflected here, this is a city accessible to all. Three gates on each side in every direction. So it, it harkens back to the, the 12 tribes. That's, that's the... Um, you might say the beginning, the preparation, but you see in, in this section, both sets of 12. You have the, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel and the gates, but then you have 12 layers of foundation and whose names are on those. Uh, let's see where it was. I think it was the apostles, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm trying to find it. Where is it? Um, I just closed my oh, there it is. Verse 14. Wall of the city has 12 foundations, and on them the 12 names of 12 apostles of the Lamb. Okay. So you get both coming together in this city. Yeah, this is where some traditions of of modern Protestantism have really they because they're they're coming at this from a a worldview that has the nation of Israel in it. There's a lot of bad interpretation of saying that Israel, as we read in the Bible, is the nation of Israel. And it leads you to really bad biblical interpretation. Uh, but we, 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 we've been around a lot longer than the state of Israel, so we don't fall into that trap.
All right. Nothing unclean shall enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, which we encountered back in chapter 20. Any concluding thoughts or questions on chapter 21? If you want to hear it, I'll run through those 12 uh, next week, if you want to hear it. Andrew of Caesarea has an interpretation on every one of those minerals and crystals and how he relates them to the apostles. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's just one interpretation. I'd like to hear that next time, Father. All right, remind me if I forget. Okay. We're doing next week then? We are doing another one? Yeah, so next week we'll end up and then we'll take a little bit of a break. We'll talk about that um, next week. We'll decide when we're going to start and we'll, if you have ideas of books, bring them next week for the next book we, uh, we look at. All right. Randy. Thank you all. Randy. Yeah. Randy. What? Yes, yes. How was your New Year's adventure to Lake Michigan? 